I had a dog uh, a while ago. She passed away uh, quite some, some years ago. Uh, interesting dog. Name was Mocha. And uh, it, was, it was interesting to watch her with the children. And uh, one of the things that we noticed, or I noticed, was that uh, with four kids, and it was kind of helpful for me, was that as we would walk, my dog would go behind the kids, and, and she would go back and forth like this, and she'd just kind of keep them clustered in a group. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was nice because we didn't have to do that. You, you, uh, I think, uh, uh, Marty, you could have used the dog like that yesterday uh, with all the kids they had at the birthday party. Uh, but it's nice you know, to try to keep kids together uh, in, in, a, in a small group. You can, you can find them. We could use that dog in Germany when we lost a, a kid several times. Um, First Peter chapter two verse twenty-five tells us about Christ in a, in a similar duty. He does, and we 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 read part, uh, we went through part of this uh, last week. We talked about Christ being a guardian. He says, "You are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls." So we're talking about uh, a shepherd. And I want to talk about the evolution of the profession. Um, and it began as a noble, a very noble profession. I mean, you think of in the Old Testament of shepherds. Uh, we think of Abraham being a shepherd, and, and Moses was a shepherd. Uh, Jacob was a shepherd. It was a very noble thing uh, to be a shepherd. After Egypt, however, uh, they came away with a slightly different uh, view on shepherds. Um, in Egypt, they viewed shepherds, and even the scriptures even tell us this, that, that, that they wouldn't even allow shepherds to eat. It was, it was, that was gross. That was, they, they didn't even want to be in the presence of a shepherd. They, they, that was too uncultured uh, for the Egyptians. So they come out, and there's this different view of, of shepherds uh, from that point on, with, with only one exception, of course, and that's uh, when David emerges, and because of his popularity, for a little while, it's okay to be a shepherd, and, and some of the psalms talk about a shepherd, and, and uh, you know the the, the famous uh, Psalms 23, and we'll actually even get there. Um, but quickly after David, it again returns to this low class status, and that's actually found. Uh, we see that in Zephaniah, uh, Zephaniah chapter two, verse five and six. He says, "Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, you!" Nation of Cherethites, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. You, O seacoast, will be pastures with meadows for shepherds and for folds of flocks. And so when he really, when, when, uh, when, when they wanted to be insulted, when God wanted to insult them, he knew that they understood that uh, by this point, if you want to insult somebody, Compare them to shepherds or say your, place, your land is going to be for shepherds because that to them was an insult by this point. The time of it being a noble profession was long gone. In fact, in the time of Christ, there was a rabbi who wrote uh, that he couldn't understand why, why God would ever have it written that, that, that he was like a shepherd, you know, re- referencing the 23rd Psalm. Why would you ever reference and compare God to that? What an awful comparison. Um, well, a lot of this has to do with the life and the job of a shepherd. Uh, many sheep were put in collectives. Um, 
I think I have a picture of one. This is a, not an old one. Uh, this is a fairly modern one. They were put in collectives like this, uh, maybe even a bit bigger than this. This might be a small one. Uh, if you could um, afford a, uh, a shepherd, um, it, you know, a bunch of people from the town might put their sheep in something like this, and you'd have your own sheep. Uh, and if you could pay a shepherd, if you were just had to, could squeak by, you could afford to have a shepherd who would watch your sheep for you. Now, if you were poor, you couldn't. You had to go do this work yourself. Um, and so a, a climate dictated a lot of this work. Uh, uh, so in Palestine, there are two seasons, wet and dry. In Palestine, all but three rivers dry up during the dry season. So, so after that, uh, in fact, most rivers are actually called wadis, which is a, it's a temporary river. Uh, and in uh, the rain, they're full and it's wonderful and, and, the, and everything is fertile. But after all that, th that dry season, it, it gets, you know, it, you're well into the dry season. Um, now you have to go out. There's no, you, you can't find any grass. So, so you have to wander with your sheep. You're very nomadic. Um, and so the dry season is from April to November. So, so probably after you've eaten up everything, probably you're talking May and, and June, you're already out somewhere. And you come back when the rainy season starts, when there's, when there's more rivers close to home that you can get your sheep to, uh, to and, and more pastures and more green. So you spend a lot of your time alone. And, and you spend a lot of your time with sheep which are not the most attractive-smelling animals on the planet. And so you can imagine the condition that you come back into town with. And you can imagine that the people who see you and smell you have a reaction to you. And this is why it's not considered a highly cultured thing. It's, it's something you want to pay other people to do. That's the implications of, of this Job and, and, and this is what Christ calls himself. He's a shepherd of our souls. Think of the company he keeps. He is with the sheep. Now, Jesus is not just any shepherd. Um, John chapter 10, and verse 1 through 15, and most of our thoughts today are going to come from this passage in John 10. It's John chapter 10, verse 1 through 15. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, uh, by the, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he is brought out, all his own, he goes in front of them, and the sheep follow him. They know his voice, and a stranger, they won't follow him, but they will run away from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes just to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he runs because he's a hired hand. He doesn't really care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just like the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. As I say, he's not just any shepherd. And I want to look at some of the the ways that he categorizes himself as a shepherd. And first of all, he is not a hireling. John 10, and we're going to kind of go back through and just kind of uh, bring some of the thoughts out from this, from this story. He's not a hireling because he cares for his sheep. Uh, it's interesting, he says he calls them by name. He's got an intimacy with his sheep. And that intimacy... Uh, is not just on a group basis. We, we think of Christ in the church, and we talk a lot about Christ in the church, and Christ in the church, and that is true. But it says He calls them out by name. He, ha- he has an individual care for each person here. He has an individual relationship. Now, there are guidelines that, that he, will, he has universally, and He cares for the church as a group. That's true. But he has a desire for intimacy individually with each one of us here. It is a a different kind of a shepherd from what you would think. Christianity is not just a group identity. There are universal expectations. And a personal relationship doesn't mean you're free from those. But hirelings had no personal attachment. And so, what is there in a moment of danger for them to risk? What do they risk? Financial loss. That's all that they're concerned with. I'm not going to have a job. That's what they risk, and so they run away. I was, um, I I know I've told you this story, Uh, driving in Ohio, and uh, and there was a tanker that was overturned or something, so traffic just was completely stopped. And, and pretty soon you saw cars driving down in the median and up over the other side and heading back. Of course, illegal, but hey, you're gonna be, we were there for hours before even things started to move. And, and uh, so I just turned off your car and sit there. And I saw, and it was, you know, those embankments are steep. And I, I saw a guy in an Atlas moving van do this. I mean, a large 26-foot trailer type thing and he went down and he high pointed on the bumper his wheels were just a little bit off you could see it was like oh, hey there's some entertainment for the afternoon uh and so so he he goes to the back they open up those two guys are opening and they got like they're putting cardboard uh cardboard boxes you know the empty cardboard boxes that they got in there and they're putting it underneath there and it's trying to <laughs> just shooting them up onto the highway and I'm like oh this is fun uh, they started they went they had all sorts of stuff they're trying to you know get that just get that off and then they can go down I don't know what they were going to do when they got to the other side but um, they started putting furniture I, I watched them grab like a leaf of a table <laughs> and put it under the tires I'm like 
just close the doors. You've lost your job. Just walk away. Just leave it there and calm tell them, here's your furniture. You've lost your job already. You're not salvaging this one, right? And that's the idea. This, the shepherd, what does he have to lose? Just his job. He's, he's not going to risk his neck for anything. He's got no personal attachment. Just walk away. That's their logic. Not Christ. Christ has a personal attachment, so he couldn't just walk away and leave us to our own demise. He is, uh, by the way, uh, there are two uses for wool. You ever find it, uh, some of you are like, what in the world? Uh, some, cute little puppet, uh, Sherry Lewis, I believe was her name. I remember this from when I was a little, little kid on Sesame Street. That's all I remembered. And uh, a puppet called Lamb Chop. Think about how gruesome that actually is. <laughs> it's like having a, a, a pig and naming it Bacon or something. You know, it's like, like that, that's, you know. There are two uses for sheep. There's meat and there's wool. Uh, well, what is Jesus interested in? And what is a butcher interested in? I say Christ is not a butcher. How do you know a butcher? A butcher drives the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep. There's a difference. All right? uh, a butcher is interested in the one-time use. And that's why he says uh, the thief comes to kill and destroy. What is a thief interested in? The thief is not interested in work. That's why he's a thief. They're lazy people. They don't want to work for stuff. He's not going to go steal a sheep. He's not going to go steal something that's going to require work. He's coming for something quick. He's coming for meat. But Christ had a relationship and it was, it was the, the symbol is of, of, of a continual thing. Christ was not interested in being a butcher. He was interested. Now, there's one exception, of course. Uh, some of you uh, in farming, I, I, I've only heard of it. I don't know this from experience. But there's a thing called a Judas goat. You know what a Judas goat is? It's a goat that they would use to lead sheep, and they would take them up into the slaughterhouse, and they had a little door where the, where the goat could go out, and then they closed that door, and then the, the, uh, the sheep was in the slaughterhouse, and they get it. And they would just use that goat because sheep, you know, you don't have to even drive it. The sheep will just follow the goat, because they kind of wanted them. Right, so they had a Judas goat. That's the only time that a, a butcher makes use of leading. Other than that, a butcher has to drive sheep where they're going. But Christ leads. He is not a butcher. Don't pay attention to the butcher. Don't pay attention to the one who drives you. But pay attention to the one who leads you. And that's kind of our, our third point. He is a leader. In other words, uh, it says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep out by name, and he leads them out. Uh, another scripture, John 10.10, 10, or verse 11, rather, <clears throat> says, uh, I am the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Christ had no intention 
of asking us to go where he wasn't going to. In fact, Christ says, I will go places where I don't even require you to go. I will lead and I will go to places for you. Christ has sacrificed in order to provide. And Jesus isn't a Judas goat that gets to go free from things and leave us to our fate. He has provided for our safety through his own suffering. You have confidence, and you can have confidence in a leader because he doesn't say, listen, I have this expectation of you, but I ain't going to touch it. Jesus has led, and any expectation of sacrifice can be met with the fact that, and, and trusted by the sheep because Christ has gone there. So, let's know the shepherd. Well, first of all, there are a couple, there's really only two things, as we talk about this, more than that we could uh, talk about. But I want to just highlight two ideas today as we talk about knowing our shepherd. And the first is to know or to recognize. Well, oh, let's back up here. Uh, hello? This is um, John 10.3 and John 10.14. Uh, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hears his voice, and he calls the sheep out by name and leads them out. We've, we've already read that. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Well, there's a couple of ideas here uh, that are, I think, important in recognizing. First of all, Christ tells us that a relationship is a two-way street. Okay, I know you. You have to know me as well. I know you by name, I call you by name, but you have to recognize my voice. Well, that kind of begs the question, and that is, what does the voice of Christ sound like? So, uh, well, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 tells us what the voice sounds like. He <clears throat> says, uh, The Gentiles, who do not have the law, when they by nature do what the law requires... They are a law unto themselves, and even though they do not have the law, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. So, the first thing of recognizing uh, the voice, what, what does that voice sound like? Because we speak in abstract terms, know the voice, and that sounds wonderful, but it sounds like your conscience, if your conscience is working correctly. And it, it, it doesn't say which way. He says it might accuse you. That's a working conscience. That's the voice of God. It might accuse me. Mike talked about some of the things that we might, habits we might need to break. That might be the voice of God. That conscience that tells us Here's something, or, or here's something you need to start doing. Here's a habit you need that you don't have. That's a conscience. It's a working conscience. It's accusing you. He says even the Gentiles who don't have the law have that working conscience. But he says on the other hand, uh, the, the, the conscience might acquit you. Now, we might read a scripture and it might call to your mind something that you've done. Or, or someone might accuse you and, and you know 
of your own integrity, or that, that integrity that you have when, when no one's around. Your conscience might acquit you. That's the voice of God. That's what it sounds like. Know that voice. Be acquainted with that voice. Uh, a passage that we've uh, referred to. But Psalms chapter 23, in the first four verses alone, this is, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through a valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. And so the second concept of the, uh, knowing the voice of God and knowing uh, what that sounds like is it sounds safe. Some things sound dangerous. Right? Someone has an idea. Let's do this. And there's something that comes, there's a voice in your head that goes, that doesn't sound safe. Just, that doesn't sound right. That's a voice that tells you that it's there for a reason. And, and spiritually, there should be things like that. This doesn't sound safe. You know, uh, we've had um, situations here uh, where, where people disagreed with a policy. We have elders. They're called shepherds. They're called shepherds for a reason. And, and, and some say, well... Um, I disagree with that policy. Okay, that's your right to disagree with the policy. And, and, and the frustration that, that they might make a decision, understand their voice and their purpose is to keep you safe. So there might be something that if we got down and we understood everything, maybe it would be okay. And they decide we're not going to do that. Would you rather have a shepherd who takes risks with your soul? Or who is there to keep you safe? Who is going to err on the side of caution? I will take the one who errs on the side of caution. Because men who are trained to go, that doesn't sound safe. That bridge doesn't look safe. This thing doesn't look healthy for our church. We're going to avoid it. Maybe it's a freedom, maybe it's not. We're going to avoid it. That's listening to the voice of God. Doing what sounds safe. Living where you're safe. So there's recognition. That's the first part of knowing the shepherd. And the second is the response. John chapter 10, verse 4. He says, um, When he has brought out all his own... He goes before them. We've already talked about that. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And again, there's just a continuation of things. These are all similar thoughts. But there is a response to the voice. I know the voice. Wonderful. We talk about dogs. There are different kinds of dogs. And if you've had lots of dogs, you've had some of these. There are dogs that as soon as you call, they come. Right? There are dogs where you will call them and they will keep their head down and pretend they didn't hear you. You ever have one of those? You know they heard you, but they're just going to... 
I'm, I'm really interested. Sorry, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear you. There are dogs, you'll call them and they'll look at you. It's like, yeah, I heard you. I ain't coming. There's all sorts of things. They all heard you. And you know it. They have great ears. But it's the response that's the important part. It's not just the knowing. It's not just the hearing. But it's the response that determines whether you know him or not. And it involves several things. First of all is emotion. Are you willing to be affected by what you know? Well, what character is assigned to dogs? Loyalty. To the ones that obey. To the ones that come, right? Those are loyal, loyal dogs. Right? You've never heard loyalty assigned to a cat. Ever. It doesn't exist in their vocabulary. So there's emotion. But John chapter 10, verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and he will find pasture. Now, this is not talking about coming into the church and leaving the church. I'm part of it. I'm not a part of it. Uh, but we want to talk about having a destination. And this, I think, is really important for us to understand that when we talk about God calling you, and we, we use that word a lot, and uh, and knowing his voice, what's the purpose? God has a destination for you. He has an ultimate destination, as we said, that, that's universal. But God has a destination for you. If someone is calling you to do something, they have an objective. Knowing the voice of God, hearing the voice of God, that means there's an objective for you. And I'm not, I'm not saying uh, like there's a super specific uh, thing that you're supposed to find out. What you're, that there's a mystical thing that people talk about, that, and that's not even what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about along the way to heaven, there are spiritual points of maturity that God wishes you to reach. God did not call us to sit. He called us to go. He calls us out. And that's fine to come in and find some rest in the fold together. But God calls us out and says, follow me. There's more to this than this. There's things, and I could give you tons of examples there are points of personal maturity, uh, spiritual thought, and, 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 and milestones to reach in your own life. There are places where you can assist others to further their spirituality. That's, that's moving up. I, I'm no longer just kind of in tune with myself. You know, if I'm, if I'm a new Christian, I'm kind of I'm a baby in Christ. And, and, and you're kind of focused on your own stability at that point, but there comes a point where now I need to be more interested than just myself. I need to be interested in the improvement of other people and in the, in the bringing of people. 
There are all sorts of points along this way. And, and again, I refer to Mike's lesson there at the Lord's Supper was so excellently connected to this. Just one step closer, just one thing better. What is it? What step can you take today? Where is Christ going today? Are you behind Him? Where does Christ want to be today? Are you behind Him? Are you following because He's calling? I want to finish with two thoughts. Is it dry where you are? Have you ever felt it's just a little bit dry? Strange question to ask today. But spiritually, have you ever felt dry? It might be time to follow the shepherd out to where there's pasture. To where there's something more than what you have available to you right now. If the same schedule and the same everything is getting a little old, then maybe the shepherd is saying, over here, I've got something better. I've got something better than just the same old grass. Go out and find pasture. Do you feel aimless? Are you like a sheep without a shepherd? Do you feel sometimes that you need direction? Like, what am I doing? What? It's the same thing over and over. The same, and we're talking about the same schedule. Come to church. Communion, love. Don't want to de-emphasize any of these points. But if it's become routine, then maybe we're not being shepherded. Christ came to break up the monotony. Read the Gospels and see if it sounds unexciting to be an apostle, to follow Christ around. It doesn't sound unexciting. So if my life is unexciting, if there's not a lot new in my life, then maybe God is saying, you need to get behind the shepherd because things happen where he goes.